Hello, Husky fans. This is Max Cerullo, the sports editor of the Daily News in Newburyport and former UConn men's basketball beat writer for the Daily Campus. And you are listening to Yes, UConn, the podcast where we do deep dives into some of the greatest UConn basketball games of all time. So right now, we're recording this on March 16th, 2020. And in a just world, we would all be getting ready for March Madness, which is a was supposed to start on Thursday. And unfortunately, we don't live in a just world. We live in a world where the coronavirus has uh, caused a worldwide pandemic. We're all on lockdown. All of sports have been canceled, and that means no more basketball. And that's a huge bummer. So, you know, the other day, I was stuck in my house was just watching all these old UConn games, and I was just like, you know what? Like, this is great. We, we should do this more often. And honestly, like, just kind of got me thinking, like, man, we had a chance to see some really cool games over the years. So this podcast is going to hopefully give us all an outlet to sort of relive those glory days, you know, talk about some of those great games. And since we're not really going to get to, uh, you know, create any new memories this uh, this March, the very least we can, uh, you know, have a little something to tide us over. So uh, today uh, we're going to start off and we're going to talk about the Cardiac Kemba game. Uh, you know, you know, it's the probably the most rewatchable UConn men's basketball game of all time. And uh, joining me today is uh, my old daily campus uh, partner in crime, Matt McDonough. Matt, how's it going? It's going well. Thanks for having me, Mac. And yeah. I'd like to wish everyone out there some safety and he- health. Yeah, so you and I, uh, we, so just so everyone knows, Matt and I worked at the Daily Campus together for four years. Uh, we graduated in 2012, and uh, our, um, our junior year, we were the uh, sports editor and associate sports editor of the Daily Campus. And man, dude, we, have, we had a run. <laughs> we, we covered or we had attended in some fat capacity the Fiesta Bowl, the Big East Tournament, the entire, you know, UConn, you know, men's basketball national championship run. You know, your brother Colin was at the women's uh, that he made it to the final four there, too. Just uh, and then, you know, the baseball team, too, had like, I don't know how many how many yeah, future major league players. Regionals. Yeah, they made the super regionals. You had George Springer, Matt Barnes. It was just a good time. But like, I don't think I'll ever forget this game. This game, the uh, so, you know, UConn versus Pitt in the 2011 Big East quarterfinals. I mean, this is really the one everybody thinks about. Like, if you're thinking about, you know, the Kemba Walker season and just what they were able to accomplish. I mean, it doesn't, this this is kind of that season in a nutshell. Um, you know, they didn't win a championship this game. They didn't, like, you know, nothing really was settled on this day. But that was just the moment where, you know, you really believed, wow, you know, this team could really do something special. And obviously they they did. Um, but you know, so you and I were in Madison Square Garden that day. So I guess just to to start us off, Matt, what do you remember about that game and just our, you know, the experience of being in the building for this, uh, you know, historic game? Well, I think you make a good point where not, nothing was really won. Uh, they had beaten DePaul and Georgetown and we're going to make the NCAA tournament. But, uh, that day, this is kind of the lasting image from that season, even though it was just a quarterfinal win. So I remember, you know, especially the noon games at MSG, it's a little bit more of a sleepy crowd. Um, you know, the the fans file in as the game goes on. Uh, so there's a lot of purple and teal seats at the beginning. But it was two really good teams. 
um, and UConn, who had been struggling, looked like they had found themselves slightly uh, in the, the Paul Georgetown games. And uh, then obviously this game was kind of uh, where they took off. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think, uh, so why don't we just kind of do a quick refresher for anybody who doesn't quite remember the full uh, kind of what was at stake. So coming in, UConn uh, in 2010 and 11 was not expected to contend. We, we weren't even sure we were going to get much of a season at all. Um, the year before, well, two years before, they made the Final Four when Kemba was a freshman. And then the next year was a disaster. They really, they, they just, you know, were consistently disappointing. They, uh, they ended up in the NIT and basically flamed out of that. And then a kind of big picture, I mean, that team also had a bunch of guys transfer and the academics weren't great. And that kind of set the stage for a lot of the, uh, you know, academic, uh, you know, kind of related issues the program had over the coming years. But this team, you know, you, you come into the season, you re- basically, I remember we did our previews and we were like, this team is going to make it as far as Kemba Walker can carry them. And, you know, you say that sentence now and obviously, you know, in hindsight, how far they can go is literally all the way. But, you know, that that was inconceivable at the time that they could have been a Final Four contender. But, you know, right out of the gate, they were great. Um, they start the season 10-0. and 0. They uh, go to Maui and they win the Maui Invitational and win three really tough games against Wichita State, Michigan State, and Kentucky. Um, you know, then comes the Big East uh, Conference play. In their first game, they get smacked in the mouth by Pitt. Uh, and it was a really pretty ugly game. And, um, you know, the Big East, that the 2011 Big East was maybe one of the best conferences ever assembled. You know, that's, you know, out of the 16 teams, I want to say 11 teams made the tournament that year, and they were all so tough. Um, you know, so UConn winds up uh, struggling a little bit. They finished 9-9 nine and nine in conference play, and they lose four out of five in the, uh, to basically down the stretch. We, at that point, were like, man, I don't know, like, who, who knows what's going to happen. Um, but obviously, you know, as you mentioned, they, you know, start off in the Tuesday game, I think it was, um, against DePaul, and they smoked them. Yeah. Uh, final score was... 97-71. That's right, yep. Georgetown, um, you know, who wasn't a shabby team by any means, it was a, a pretty good college team with uh, players who at least, you know, not NBA stars necessarily, but, um, you know, UConn had to beat them to get to Pitt. And then uh, that kind of, I know DePaul sealed the tournament berth, at least, if they weren't already in. But uh, the Big East was just, uh, you know, a a meat slicer. Every night in the league, you just kind of have to be prepared and uh, get through it. And 9-9, and in hindsight, isn't that bad of a record. (laughs) It certainly felt worse at the time, but... Yeah. So anyway, so like you said, uh, you know, new, it was a noon tip, which I, I don't, I'd almost forgotten about until I actually just went back and watched. It's like, you know, a game like that you assume is just like prime time, but no, we, I don't know. We, I think pretty much just rolled out of bed and just walked right over there. Right. From the hotel, <laughs> something oh, yeah. like that. Uh, I, the weather yeah, was terrible God. too. I, I, I saw the, uh, you know, they showed like the B roll of the people filing in and it was like, man, I forgot how crappy a day it was. I mean, yeah, and even MSG with the, um, mood lighting in the stands you know the bleach or the uh stands are pitch black no matter if it's a noon tip or an 8 p.m so you can't really tell it it looks like a broadway stage 
on the court there, but where you and I were sitting uh, in the auxiliary press row, we were way up there, so we were kind of clouded by darkness. Um, but you know, the the stage lighting gives the court, you know, a little bit more of the stage there, whether it be noon or eight p.m. I'm glad you brought up the mood lighting. I love that about Madison Square Garden. It looks so cool on TV. It's like, you know, you watch all these conference tournament games and then you see the replay of this UConn Big East tournament game and it's like, wow, like that, it just looks special. Like, you know, even even at the time, you, you, you walk in there and you're like, oh man, like, you know, now I kind of see why everybody hypes this place up. Even yeah. though like the arena itself, like, I don't know, the... They, I guess they've since changed the seats so that they look more normal now. But, like, I guess in hindsight, like, the fact that the seats were so goofy looking kind of added to the charm, too, right? Well, yeah, I mean, it's like 90s Charlotte Hornets colors. Uh, but, you know, the mood lighting helps with the crowd. It, it still looks like a big event, even if it's a late-arriving crowd. But, yeah, they switched it up where, um, you know, the... And I, w- I went to a game there a couple years ago... That where the seats, you know, it's all black or dark blue, and the uh, way the stands are completely different um, in terms of the bowl seating. And then they actually took away the tunnel in the middle there, so both teams exit, you know, stage right or left, so to speak, rather than together and at mid court. So you know, the Willis Reed tunnel is no more. It's just kind of a completely different arena inside well either way it still is a it was a you know just walking in there especially i mean you know we'd been there a couple times already that week but still just a cool venue especially kind of back then um obviously i've sort of buried the lead here so this was the, the game that kemba walker became a legend uh that step back buzzer beater he hit was you know it's i think it's probably safe to say the most famous shot in yukon history or at least it's in the, the conversation um, I mean, I, we're going to obviously spend a lot of time talking about it, but let's just, at the very top, what was, you know, go, what was going through your mind when that thing went through the hoop and just the whole uh, scene unfolded after? Well, like you said, it probably is the most famous buzzer beater, and UConn is a team that's had a lot of them, especially the last 30 years. Um, but when that one shot went in and the roar of the crowd, even the, the buildup of the crowd before Kemba took the shot as uh, Miggy switched on him. I mean, it, it was such a iconic moment, and it has lived on, um, you know, almost a decade la- later. Because uh, between the Yukon commercial, between um, the uh, videos they play before the games at Gamble, that that's one clip that is always shown. And like you said, it's funny it didn't win a championship, but that's kind of the uh, iconic moment, so to speak. And I didn't really realize that that's what it would be, uh, you know, sitting here almost 10 years later. I mean, I had a pretty good idea that it was going to live on, but obviously the fact that they went on to, well, first of all, win the Big East title, and then obviously the national title, that really just put it over the top. Um I remember at the time, so you and I were obviously way up in the press box, and we're trying really hard to be all professional. So I remember distinctly, both of us, our reaction was absolute stone-faced, just staring down and just soaking it in. Whereas inside my brain, I was completely losing it. Like, I was about right, like this close to just kind of breaking the fourth wall and just like, 
just going crazy. But in my head, I was just like, don't blow this Mac. You know, you gotta, you gotta stay, stay, you're, you're here to do a job. Even if you just watch the most awesome thing ever happen. Um, no, we were both awestruck, but you're right. I mean, you kind of have to keep your cool, but, uh, I mean, it was just an awesome shot. And I think the thing too, that kind of speaks to where the team was as well as Kemba, you know, like they went on to win, you know, the rest of their games that season famously, obviously, but, uh, that was a game where Kemba struggled and he came through in the clutch as well as a game where other guys stepped up. Yeah, no, man. I mean, yeah, watching it again, it is actually amazing. Like UConn really probably shouldn't have won that game. Uh, Pitt played really well uh, for a lot, a lot of time, but I don't know. It's I guess it's one of those games where, like, for whatever reason, UConn was kind of able to hang around, and then, you know, down the stretch, they sort of, I guess, just played well enough to, you know, cl- climb back in it, climb back in it, take the lead, keep the lead, and, you know, of course, you know, at the very end, they made the, the winning plays they had to. Um, so why don't we, uh, do you want to just run through kind of uh, the sort of the general play-by-play and kind of... Uh, break this game down yeah we could do that all right cool so yeah so basically um you know game tips off and uh pretty much you know right away Pitt kind of takes control um you know first half uh, the first like 10 minutes of the game Pitt sort of steadily building up a, a double digit lead and uh for most of the kind of we'll, we'll say basically the whole kind of uh you know, from the 15 minute mark till like roughly the five minute mark, they're pretty much consistently up by like 12 points. So yeah. at that point, that's, you know, you kind of gotten smoked by these guys a couple of times already. So you're thinking, man, that's not good. Um, you know, there was a period of time where Pitt was hit shooting like 75% from the floor, you know, getting a lot of putbacks and uh, second chance baskets. UConn wasn't really hitting anything. Um, and then, uh, yeah, then also, you know, both of the bigs get in foul trouble. Uh, Oriaki and uh, Okwandu both had two fouls pretty early. And, uh, you know, that that was a tough uh, a tough one. Roscoe actually had to leave the game for a while, too, because he got his face busted open. I, I'd almost forgotten about that. He, uh, yeah. You see the celebration afterwards, his, like, whole entire, like, side of his face is all covered in bandages is because he took an elbow kind of at some point in the first half. Um so, but anyway, at a certain point, um, UConn was able to kind of mount a bit of a run. Uh, basically, I want to say, I got it right here. So yeah, so Shabazz hits a three. Uh, Kemba gets a strip, but then he misses a three. Wanamaker miss. Uh, Jamal Coons McDaniel, he uh, gets the basket and one, makes the free throw. Wanamaker yeah, that was for, huge. Yeah. Pulled them within six. Yeah, no, and then uh, Wanamaker comes back with a basket. Then Kemba hits uh, two uh, free throws. Um, you know, Pitt's finally starting to mix, miss a few baskets. They miss another one. Shabazz hits, t- uh, hits one. Um, uh, you know, Pitt again for two. Kemba two for two. Giffey steal uh, hits Walker for the runner. Um, you know, then kind of trade turnovers for a bit, and then finally, uh, Oriaki gets a putback to tie it at thirteen. Uh, or thirteen. Jesus, uh, thirty nine all with about thirty nine seconds left in the half. Um, wound up being forty one forty Pitt at halftime, but. I mean, I think after after halftime, you and I were kind of talking like, geez, like, they kind of a miracle that they're in this game, but, you know, sort of did what they had to do to climb back in it. Oh, yeah. I mean, Pitt had taken control early. Like you said, they were pretty consistently up by a dozen points in the first half. Every time UConn would get a basket, they'd always seem to answer. Um, you know, Ashton Gibbs was so good that game. 
for six of seven from three, I think. You know, it's just a tough team to overcome if you're down that early. Um, so I think to not only go up by one with the Oriaki tip, not the Woodhall buzzer beater put, pit up one, but they had gone on a, like 17-4 run, I think, before Pitt answered with that at the buzzer. So uh, to take the punches and uh, Roscoe Smith taking the elbow, um, so, you know, metaphorically and literally they were getting knocked around. Um, they overcame it and were right there at the half, and that had to give them a lot of confidence going in because a team like Pitt um, could have put them away. And the other thing to remember with the noon start, it's uh, not only kind of a little bit of, uh, rusty performance sometimes, but the top teams usually don't do well with the double buy. Um, historically speaking, I know two years prior, UConn had the double buy in the six overtime loss to Syracuse, and even though that was the night game, uh, I know that you know it didn't favor uh, or the double buy never really treated the top seed well. I know Jim Beheim would complain a lot about it a lot which he complains about a lot of stuff a lot. But, uh, you know, UConn really withstood the pit, um, you know, early uh, hot start and was able to go in, you know, right there. Yeah, I think I remember in the broadcast at one point they mentioned that Pitt had lost uh, in their first game with a double bye a couple times recently too, which is, uh, I don't know. I mean, Pitt, we, you know, we were actually talking the other day when we were, uh, you know, watching this on uh, ESPNU the other night. I mean, that Pitt team just for, you know, the kind of the 2000, uh, early 2010s, Jamie Dixon run, that was such a great program. And they did, they were so tough. And yet they just always just, they couldn't win anything when it counted. Yeah. And I mean, at the time that was kind of, you know, kind of glorious to be honest. But now in retrospect, it's like, it would have, it's kind of wrong that they didn't at least make one Final Four or do something really significant because they were so good. Yeah, and Dixon's a good coach, and, um, you know, he's done decently at TCU since leaving Pitt. I know Pitt has suffered from the ACC switch as well, but the um, thing with Pitt, you know, aside from Big East regular season or tournaments, which are nothing to scoff at, uh, they didn't make the Final Four. Um, but the impressive thing, and I know they mentioned it, I think, in the broadcast when um, either Fran Schiller or Dave Pash mentioned how Larry Fitzgerald said Dixon does more with less than any coach in the country. And they backed that by saying at the time Pitt didn't have a, a first-round pick uh, in the NBA draft. You know, like uh, Blair was a second-rounder. So uh, Wanamaker, who's you know now with the Celtics but played eight years overseas, he went undrafted. You had these guys who seemed to be really good college players who couldn't quite crack it um, immediately in the NBA or last long, and they didn't have really high potential pros prospects who would be drafted in the lottery. So it's very impressive in hindsight to think about it. Um, and, you know, I think the UConn-Pitt uh, rivalry has certainly subdued a lot over the seasons. But uh, now we could kind of look back on it and, you know, kind of wish Pitt maybe have got, gotten through there for the good of the conference. But uh, at the same 
time, it feels pretty good that they didn't. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I suppose that's one way to look at it. We'll we'll touch on the whole uh, Wanamaker Kemba kind of connection a little bit later because in hindsight, watching it now, that's actually pretty pretty funny, seeing as that they're now teammates in the NBA. Um, but anyway, so let's back to the game. So in the second half, uh, Pitt did make another quick run, and they were up. Uh, they were pretty much consistently up by like five or seven points for. Uh, a good portion of the second half, um, at least like basically up until like the last seven, you know, six or seven minutes. And then uh, that's kind of when UConn sort of began to chip away and, you know, make it a little bit more interesting. Um, I think there was one point kind of in the middle of their run that Kemba made probably the, the craziest layup I think I ever saw him make. I mean, you you remember the one, right, where he split like four defenders, yeah. went in, like basically did a barrel roll going to the basket. And I think he drew the foul, too. Um and I don't know, that was, watching on replay, that was, I remember that one actually wound up on SportsCenter that night too. Um, and that was, I don't know, one of those like crazy plays that kind of gets forgotten. But like, I saw that again and be like, damn, like man, Kemba was, Kemba was crazy. Like he could do anything. No, he was a mix between a finesse player and a bulldog. When you look at some of these highlights, he could go from one play really putting his nose down, initiating the contact, you know, by just run, going into the chest of a defender and forcing them to foul him or, uh, you know, do a pump fake and draw a foul. Um, and then, he, you know, from that game between Pitt to uh, through the Butler National Championship, there's a lot of pretty plays where he was able to kind of, um, you know, do a Kyrie Irving-like finesse move where he avoided contact and would scoop shots. Uh, he's just a remarkable college player who could really do it all, and whatever uh, the you know play dictated, he'd pull it off. Yeah, there was one point in the game I remember uh, it was either Pasha or Frischilla said something to the effect of, you know, after he made some crazy athletic tough play, they he just goes like, man, if you you know if any any of you doubt that he can uh, make it in the NBA, I mean, just look at him now. Um, paraphrasing that, but like, you know, you, you you could see it. Like, I mean, it's kind of crazy in retrospect to think that everybody was like, oh yeah, but like, can he really play though? Cause he's like so short. I mean, you know, he's six one. I mean, he's not that short. Like, I mean, I don't think there's really any question, you know, he's I've been playing in the league for nine years now. And I don't know if that's ever really been a major concern at this point. Yeah. I mean, like you said, it, and I, who knows his real height, uh, you know, with shoes, whether it was embellished or, or not. But, you know, the play spoke for itself. I remember, you know, telling a buddy midway through the Big East schedule where he had like eight points and a loss to Syracuse uh, at XL. You know, they were going through their slump, and I was like, how awful this is. And uh, my friend, you know, talked me off the uh, ledge, so to speak, where it was – you know, uh, this guy has what it takes, uh, his size, his potential is all there. And, um, I think between Maui and, uh, the tournament starting with the Big East, it's almost like, you know, his leadership just came out in the games that you're facing elimination, uh, and you need the extra push. Uh, it was just so impressive to see. Yeah. Man, so anyway, after the, um, there was, I think, I, what, what was it? I want to say with about nine minutes left is kind of when the game really got close. I think I have it here that Shabazz hits a three. Uh, yeah, with about, with 9.25 to play, Shabazz hits a three. 
the um, cuts the deficit to sixty to fifty nine. And uh, Doris Burke, uh, you know, by the way, great commentator team in this game. So Doris Burke is just like, what a future Shabazz Napier has in a UConn jersey, which is in in hindsight, you know, one of the the best best uh, predictions a broadcaster has ever made in the heat of the moment. Um, you know, so Shabazz hits that shot. He hits a whole bunch of other ones later. Uh, the you know UConn and Pitt basically for the rest of the game are trading baskets. You know, you had Jeremy Lamb hit that crazy floater to keep uh, to tie it with like six thirty to play. Uh, Kemba had a putback on his own miss that put him up sixty nine sixty seven, and then um, there was a point when uh, UConn was uh, finally up. They were up seventy two to sixty nine. And uh, Ashton Gibbs finally missed a three. It was the only, he went six for seven from three pointers. He finally missed one. And uh, it looked for a moment like UConn had a chance to maybe really kind of take control. Um, and now, basically, from here on out, you know, we all remember Kemba hitting the shot, but it wasn't easy for him at the end. So, from the point where it's uh, UConn is up 72 69 with two minutes, 30 seconds left, Kemba missed the next uh, one, two, three, four shots uh, before he finally made it. Um, you know, you have, he, he misses a shot. Uh, Wanamaker gets a, draws a foul, uh, hits two free throws. So now it's a one-point game. You know, uh, Pitt switches the zone um, on their next possession, and uh, Kemba missed the shot on that. Um, you know, UConn's able to stop Wanamaker on the other way down the court, and um, and when Pitt switches back to man, Kemba gets another shot, misses it, but this time Moriaki has the putback. So now UConn's up by three again. So basically, it's winning time. All you have to do is stop Pitt once. But then, of course, what happens? Ashton Gibbs, three points, tie game. <laughs> I mean, that guy was... I mean, it was, I think that must have been the best college basketball game that dude ever played, right? Yeah, I mean, he had, I think, like 27 points on 13 shots. Yeah. You mentioned six of seven from three. And uh, he had a clutch shot that now goes unrecognized um, in history, but that was tough with uh, you know, like you said Kemba has a wild shot and Oriaki puts it back and they're, you know pumped and celebrating Doris Burke even mentions how it may have been slightly on purpose for Kemba to kind of throw it up there so Oriaki could get it off the glass because he had drawn the two bigs um, so the dribble drive broke down the de- defense, she says. So they are in the driver's seat. Um, but, you know, Shabazz, I know he got caught up on the screen there. And uh, the announcers kind of, you know, not really talk about it in, at length, but it shows where Shabazz was as a player uh, um, in terms of 10 points off the bench, some timely threes, but he still had some freshman uh, mistakes left in him, not only not getting around the screen, but, you know, the next night against Syracuse, uh, he allows Jardine to shoot it at the end of regulation as well. And then from that point on, you know, he kind of became a sophomore, you know, sealing it against Louisville and then, you know, going through the tournament. But it, it was a... Stage was set at seventy four for a, a a big time ending. Yeah, no, absolutely, and I mean, we almost it's you know we almost didn't get it. So you know UConn with uh, forty seven point nine seconds gets the ball. They have possession, and Kemba he gets another look. Uh, this one misses too. So fourth straight miss for him, but uh, Jamal Coombs McDaniel made 
I mean, it's either this or Amita Brima's, uh, you know, offensive rebound against Temple in 2014, the greatest offensive rebound in UConn history. Um, that was just so clutch uh, coming up with that and then having the wherewithal to call a timeout. You know, that's that if, if he doesn't get that rebound, Pitt's got the got a chance to win it at the buzzer. And who the heck knows? I mean, you know, you're probably playing for overtime at that point. So, I mean, Coombs really kind of did it right there. Yeah, and like to not only get the rebound but call a timeout because he was faltering and there would either would have been a travel or a jump ball call. Um, not sure who had the possession arrow, but the uh, you know Fran Fraschella even said how heads up it was. Calhoun said how heads up it was after the game, and they had two timeouts at the time. So just the awareness um, and the young guys really. Um, not and not necessarily young guys. They had been playing the whole season at this point, and they had been in the big games, winning or losing. They had experience, but this is when uh, you could kind of see whether it was instilled by Kemba or in them all along. The uh, guys like Coombs McDaniel, um, Giffy, you know, like uh, they they would play only you know certain situations but they'd make plays and uh have a set role where they'd come through um i know that game calhoun had a nine-man rotation but he'd mix it up so much and uh they they would find themselves in the best situations every game so the player and coaches you know credit goes to both for putting themselves in those uh situations and finding success yeah so just a just an unbelievable play and it, it set up just the the ultimate moment so you know uh, with 18 seconds left basically the play-by-play is this um you know UConn has the ball uh, Kemba inbounds to Oriaki he gets it back to uh, Kemba kind of fights his way around Wanamaker uh, gets on Kemba but Coombs McDaniel sets the screen and uh switches uh Gary McGee onto Kemba and, uh, I mean, they said so after the game. That's exactly what they wanted. They wanted Kemba versus McGee to take advantage of his uh, the, that size mismatch. And, uh, I mean, you, you know what happened next. Uh, you know, Kemba kind of uh, dribbles a little bit, kind of, you know, fakes him out, he, like uh, steps forward, steps back, gets him to bite a little bit, and then he just goes hard, breaks him down, drops him to his knees, and then just leaps back, shot at the buzzer, ball game and pandemonium ensues uh man i just uh just thinking about it just makes me smile it was so uh, just just a perfect basketball play honestly um you know and then the celebration was hilarious seeing calhoun just jumping around like a goofball and then immediately regain his composure to go uh you know shake jamie dixon's hand you know they have the crowd shot of uh, kemba's mom freaking out in the crowd you know shabazz and everybody's just mobbing kemba that was just that was just awesome, and um, I don't know, man. Yeah, just I mean, the the ball didn't even graze the rim. It was such a splash, and uh, like you said, the pandemonium uh, post game with Calhoun trying to contain himself but couldn't, and even Kevin Ollie was uh, composed and trying to motion Calhoun over and kind of laughing at how he's jumping up and down, and then uh, you have Roscoe with his bruised face and uh, bandages grabbing Kemba and Lamb uh, running down the court past everybody but my favorite thing I think that Kemba did was kind of turn to uh, the press row right on the sideline there 
and really, I don't know what he mouthed, but uh, I, I think it was at the displeasure of losing out on uh, the Big East um, off, uh, pl- player of the year to Hansborough. <laughs> that was such an outrage. <laughs> don't, last word. don't even get me started on that. That was honestly so frustrating. Um, yeah, after the, yeah, I mean, you know, that's a good point. Like he, he had a lot of reason to have a big chip on his shoulder. I mean, Mick Cronin didn't even vote for him first team all Big East, which is such a Mick Cronin thing to do. But uh, everybody, he, he lost out on national player of the year to Jimmer Fredette. You know, he just, you know, he was the best player in college basketball that year. And I feel like, you know, that whole postseason was him basically just lining them up all one by one and saying, you know, you all can go to hell. I am the best player in the country. And now you're going to watch me win this whole darn thing. And that was sort of when he really put everyone on notice because, I mean, Pitt, they were ranked number three and they were really, really good. So after they after they pull that off, it's like, oh, geez, like they can beat anybody. So, um, yeah, man. Yeah, they did. I mean, they, they go through Syracuse, an overtime game. Louisville, who, um, you know, had players on that team who would be part of a now vacated national championship. But it was an incredible run. And it, I, I do think, you know, when you see the pick game as a stepping stone, either, you know, building confidence or um, showing how it was always inside the team, uh, you know, they weren't stopped the rest of the way. So um, it was just uh, an, a magical moment and a magical month. And uh, that's probably why we're doing this now for not only nostalgic purposes, but we, we miss basketball in March right now. I know, man, it's been a while, but, you know, good things coming. You know, UConn is a I mean, as of today, UConn has uh, canceled all sports for the rest of the academic year. So our American Athletic Conference nightmare is officially over. The uh, what, Big East days are going to, well, assuming that we ever get to see sports again, the Big East is coming and it's going to be awesome. And everything's extrapolated at Madison Square Garden. So, uh, you know, the UConn, if had they... One made a run this year uh, in the American uh, Athletic Conference tournament. It would have paled in comparison uh, to MSG if it was at you know Dickey's Arena in Fort Worth. Yeah, it wouldn't have uh, you know had the same showcase and feel as it does. Uh, so it's it's going to be great for you kind of to be back. Yeah, I'd... I'm excited to you know see what the future holds for them. Oh, it's going to be so much fun. So uh, why don't we dive into the, uh, I guess we'll say the, the categories of the segments or whatever you want to call them. I don't know. We'll figure out how that's all going to go in the, as this goes along. Um, so you and I both saw this game live. So we did not actually see the initial broadcast until, I don't know, at some point later, I suppose. So uh, what stood out to you uh, upon rewatching the game? Well, I, I think that, like you mentioned, the announcers are solid, even... I mean, Doris Burke was great. Beth Mowens in the post-game uh, interviews with Ken Ben Calhoun. But I, I liked Fran Frischilla's analysis. Even uh, he, he was spot on with, uh, you know, Kemba. When he got called for a foul on Gibbs, he, he said how it looked like it was all ball, and he, he's calling out the refs. Um, the uh, first half was l- littered with... Uh, shots of uh, Burr and Higgins from the uh, day before and I had forgotten about the ending of that 
St. John's game. But I know that kind of dominated the talk, uh, you know, from the telecast in the first half. But uh, I know, you know, for Schiller, because everyone watches the last two minutes, uh, you know, he famously said how Kemba doesn't need a screen and he wouldn't screen for him. And then at the end, uh, after the game, he says how that's why Calhoun's in the Hall of Fame and I'm not. But it was a, it was a solid broadcast team. And I thought that the, the refs even did great with the pressure of the day before. And, um, you know, the Big East tournament, I know it's not on ESPN anymore. And uh, it's now, you know, this video is kind of a relic in terms of the telecast and team and conference. But, uh, you know, it does make me reminisce about how big UConn basketball felt on ESPN uh, during that time playing in the Big East. Yeah, it was, um, you know, well, yeah, just watching that game really did. Uh, the thing that struck me was just what a conference that was, wasn't it? I mean, those 16 teams, I know it was like kind of, that was like the last really great Big East tournament before things kind of all went haywire. And, um, but man, like what a, what a, what a way to go out. I mean, you know, you had so this, like we said, so many great teams, you know, you know, Louisville eventually in the final, you know, Pitt, Syracuse, um, you know, Notre Dame, who, might have been the most hateable team in retrospect. I don't even know. There is like so many of these great, great teams that you, you know, you hated at the time and then grew to respect, I guess. But just, um, geez, just, just a lot of fun to kind of just think about what used to be. Um, you know, one thing that stood out to me was um, I was pleasantly surprised by how uh, well this, like the game itself held up. You know, um, think about where we were in basketball 10 years ago. Like, this was before the Golden State Warriors three-point, like, shooting revolution. Um, you know, kind of, if you watch, it's maybe not quite so much in college basketball, but if you ever watch an NBA game, it's like nobody plays with, like, you know, centers anymore. It's all very much about spacing and, you know, just shooting as many three-pointers as possible. And that's sort of the direction we've gone. But this game, like, it had a good flow. Um, you know, a lot of good three-point shooting, a lot of, uh, you know, you know, switch between man and zone there's you know watching it i was like oh yeah this is a game i could kind of imagine being played today i mean you know to a certain extent it didn't didn't feel like a bunch of like you know you know seven foot golems just throwing elbows the whole time like you some of those games in the 80s though for that's for sure well i mean the biggies had a great mix of a little bit of everything i i prefer the brand of basketball you know where it's not a three-point contest the floor isn't a space you know, centers are still a thing. Um, and, like, watching even the, the run in its entirety, you had the coaching juggernauts in the league. You had the good, uh, solid players who would go on to play overseas. And then you had some NBA guys. But, the uh, like you said, the flow, you know, I think Kemba didn't make his first three-pointer um, of the tournament until either the pick game or Syracuse game. You, you, there wasn't, um, you know, the play wasn't for a three-point shot. It was for a dump-off or it was for a drive. Um, you know, go into the paint, pull up rather than kick it out. Um, and then you still had the big guys down low, you know, bodying each other, but they weren't uh, stiffs. You know, they were athletic, uh, versatile players. And um, I think Shabazz, like... You know, his three-point shooting, it, 
was on in that game particular when it mattered and obviously uh Gibbs was solid too but there wasn't um you know plays specific specifically drawn up for a three-point shot I mean in college basketball nowadays a three-pointer taken at the buzzer in a tie game is commonplace whereas back then it was you know you worked for the easiest two-pointer in a week weird way it's kind of funny seeing Canada take a mid-range jump shot um, for the buzzer beater because it's it's a lost art now today in basketball yeah it's funny I guess now that you mentioned it it's like what was it from like a couple feet from inside the arc I mean you know these days that a shot like that would get you uh, in the doghouse but I mean when you just leave a, a poor a poor guy like Gary McGee just all splayed out in the court like that I guess you can't really complain can you Oh, yeah, and he did a similar thing. I mean, they showed it at Texas to win. Uh, and then, you know, the Villanova uh, little floater was great. But even Jeremy Lamb, you know, I know he just suffered the injury uh, in Indiana, but he just his uh, potential, um, you know, he had such a high ceiling, and you could kind of tell this game and the next uh, you know, a couple in the Big East and then the six in the NCAA where uh, his floater was on and he uh, had a lot of confidence and that floater was such a sweet shot and a great thing to have in his arsenal. And not that, you know, that's lacking in basketball, but it's just not as, um, you know, present. Yeah, we haven't spent that much talking about Jeremy Lamb, but he was really good in this game and... Uh... Man, I mean, he the talk about he's a guy that definitely kind of came out of nowhere. Like when you know we coming into the season, we kind of took one look at him and was like, "Who is this guy? He's got you know, got the longest arms you've ever seen." And you know he was pretty pretty evident early on that he was talented. And then you know obviously he had a bunch of games, but by by the time the tournament came around, we all knew what he was. But you know it was pretty encouraging to kind of see him step up and you know the a very quiet uh, you know a very quiet but very uh, impactful performance in this game. Um, let's talk about Gary McGee. Um, that, you know, that this uh, play, for better or worse, has kind of come to define his legacy. And, uh, you know, unfortunately for him, I think I think it's even mentioned uh, sort of sardonically in his own in his Wikipedia bio. Um, that dude was a good player, though. Um, but to be honest, he was uh, actually worse in this game than you remembered. Uh, he uh, was in foul trouble for most of the game. He ends up only playing 18 minutes, and uh, he only attempted one basket, missed it, and uh, finished with one point on one free throw. Um, that was a bad dude. I mean, he was a tough, tough player, and I don't know what happened in this game, but he, uh, I mean, talk about a nightmare for, for him, wouldn't you say? Oh, I mean, and I didn't even you know, realize, like you said, Calhoun compliments him after the game saying how he's a good defender and uh you know against Kemba it's obviously a mismatch but it's unfortunate I do feel bad for him to have the you know whether it be a picture or the video clip being played over and over uh you know for as uh, the foreseeable future you know you feel bad for the guy because he was a pretty solid player had an off game and Pitt was eliminated and, you know, he didn't really have another chance to, uh, you know, come back from it. It's not like he made the NBA or Pitt made a run in the NCAAs, uh, you know, with a Final Four. 
but uh, it's kind of sad, you know, thinking about it. I, I don't know. I'm sure he's moved on, but between uh, Wanamaker and Kemba now being on opposite ends then and now on the same team, I know they've talked about it according to, you know, ref- reports up from Boston. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's definitely a full circle thing now with, you know, Kemba and Wanamaker, you know, sharing a backcourt with the Celtics and they're being coached by Brad Stevens, who, you know, Kemba <laughs> delivered a rather, yeah. the, probably the worst moment of his college career too. Um, before we get away from McGee, I just pulled up his Wikipedia. So the good news is Gary McGee has, you know, been doing things. Uh, so after the, um, after, after Pitt, he uh, has mostly been playing overseas in Europe. He uh, briefly signed with the Golden State Warriors for like the summer league, but he uh, basically winds up going back overseas pretty much right after that. Uh, he's still playing today, uh, to this day, or at least you know since the you know all of the world was shut down by this uh, pandemic. Um, he was most recently looks like with Ben uh, Benfisa. Um, some uh, I, I'm I'm just I'm gonna definitely butcher that pronunciation, but he's playing in Portugal. Uh, and he's been bouncing around between you know Portugal, Turkey, uh, Greece, Germany, um, you know. So he's he's been out there. He's been playing basketball. I'm assuming doing pretty good. But uh, yeah, here's the exact line I was referring to. Um, so in the 2011 Big East Men's Basketball Tournament quarterfinal against UConn, with seconds left in the game, Kemba Walker broke McGee to the floor with a killer double step back and hit a game-winning shot, which motivated UConn to the final. I mean, yikes. <laughs> That's tough. It's, it's tough that that's. Uh, I mean, I guess it could be edited. I'm surprised I'm glad that no. To hear I'm, he's still playing. I'm surprised his like his dad or his like you know his grandmother hasn't updated this Wikipedia for him just to be like, hey, let's maybe tone that down a little bit. <laughs> you know, that's that's pretty rough. I mean, I guess the the best compliment is that uh, it's not like Kemba. Uh, that wasn't the first time he did it to someone. It wasn't the last, and for UConn to win the rest of their games. For Kemba to be drafted, uh, you know, now playing uh, his what ninth, eighth or ninth year, but having a max contract with the Celtics, it, it wasn't a scrub who crossed him up, you know. It was Kemba Walker. No, I mean, and yeah, that move. I mean, he does that all the time. I mean, you know, you you watch as much Celtics basketball as anybody. I mean, he hits somebody with that at least once a game, right? Yeah, I mean, it's one of his go-to's and. Uh, I know the season has stopped, but it, it's it's funny seeing, you know, having watched every Celtic game this year, and then uh, seeing the the couple games a few nights ago on ESPNU, the Kemba mannerisms. He still has similar moves, and um, you know he's a little bit older, a little more facial hair. Uh, glad for him that he's a lot more richer, and still <laughs> playing in the NBA especially for my favorite team. But it's funny to see some of the same stuff he did, you know, between 2008 and 2011, and now he's doing it for the Celtics. It's, it's great. Yeah, man, you know, it was, it's funny funny how that all goes sometimes, I guess. Um, the other thing, like you... Oh, sorry, Mac. Oh, no, go ahead. But, but the other thing with Kemba is, and I know he hasn't had the highlight with the Celtics this year, but uh, a couple times he's had some tough shooting games where he's clutch in the end. And uh, against Pitt, he you know only had tw- well he had twenty four points, but it was on twenty two shots, and he took eight 
uh, eight of nine for uh, from the free throw range. So it was, you know, he came through when it mattered. Sure did, sure did. Um, so let's uh, move on and uh, we're let's talk about favorite sequences. So w- let's put the the you know the buzzer beater at the side for a moment because that's obviously the answer. Any other parts of this game that really stood out to you as being pretty uh, pretty epic? Well, I do think the first half, uh, when we talked about the run there, it was it was very important. Um, you know when they you they were down twelve most of the first half, and you mentioned how. Uh, Shabazz hit a three to pull it in nine with a six and change, I think, or five and change. And then Coombs McDaniels and one, and he makes a free throw. So they're down six with 420 left in the, in the first half. But then Pitt doesn't go away, and, uh, you know, they get a basket. Kemba has two free throws. But I think... Um, where uh, Shabazz hit a fast break layup with, um, I think, that was, well, that was under four. So they were down four. And that's kind of the, you know, where, where you're down four with a few minutes left and a half, that, that's where it can go one way or another. So for the Niels Giffey strip steal, the Kemba Walker layup to pull within two um, and kind of go on this, 14-4 run or 17-4 run, I forget what exactly it was. You know, Pitt could have, you know, answered there and put the score back up to, you know, 8-10 to 10 points heading into the half. So I thought the importance of, um, you know, the Shabazz layup and the Kemba layup to pull within two with over two minutes left was huge because oftentimes, you know, basketball is a game of runs. And if a team, especially a technical underdog like UConn was, makes a run like that on a, you know, a top seed like Pitt, uh, you know, oftentimes the better team will answer. And, uh, you know, it was UConn who really took it to the next level there and to tie it up. And, um, you know, and then obviously going to the half down, but they were right there. I think, you know, to have... Shabazz and Kemba, you know, those get those layups. I think they had 11 points off turnovers in the first half. Um, they just never stopped competing, even early on, when uh, the game isn't, you know, decided in the first half. But uh, it certainly swings one way or another. Absolutely. I think for me, I think it's got to be like the last four minutes collectively. Obviously, you know, capped off by the buzzer beater, but... That's like the point where, you know, for a while it's like, oh, you know, can UConn kind of catch up, but they're losing, you know, can they do it? The last four minutes, it's just like neck and neck, you know, these two, they're pretty much two like heavyweight boxers just slugging each other back and forth. You know, some great defense, some great coaching. You see a lot of, you know, defensive switches and, you know, zone and man. And there was just, it was just a lot was going on. And, um, you know, obviously in the moment, I mean, you're like, oh my God, like, can, like, are they going to pull this off? Like, can they really do it? And, you know, Pitt, you know, they, they gave it, they gave them a real game, but I think it's something to be said about how UConn was able to make those winning plays down the stretch. Um, you know, it kind of an interesting parallel to this year, like, you know, with this year's team, they so much of the season just could not make those winning plays. You get down to those last two minutes, you know, the last three minutes, the last 30 seconds, 
can you get a basket? Can you stop? Can you get a stop? Can you get a rebound? And up until basically the last month of the season, UConn could not do that until finally they did. They started winning games and all of a sudden now, you you know, they finished the season, you know, what were they, 19 and 12 to finish this yeah. year? This UConn team, you watch this game and you're like, that is a team that knows how to win. And just watching it unfold like that was just like really, really cool. Because as we said, this team was not supposed to be that good. They were... You know, I mean, there's long stretches where it's like mostly underclassmen out there. You know, Kemba's, you know, it's basically Kemba and a bunch of kids. And man, I mean, they, and they, but they knew, they knew what it took and they, they got the job done. And this was really the game where we all realized like, man, like they, they can beat anybody. And that's exactly what they did. The kids became adults on the court, you know, very quickly in, uh, in po- the postseason, you know. And even, like, we, we mentioned how, you know, Coombs McDaniel came up big. And, you know, Jeremy Lamb with 17 points. Um, but even Alex Oriaki, you know, who prior to that was the on the NIT team the season before. but And he stayed, like you mentioned, a couple guys didn't. Not that he had been looking to go at that point. But he had 13-7. and seven. Um, I think most of his points were in the second half. But he, he was solid throughout the rest of the tournament. And every game there seemed to be, um, so, you know, certain guys, whether it be like Donnell Beverly or Charles Okwandu or Roscoe Smith um, contributing in one game. And then, you know, Tyler Lander, Niels Giffey, you know, Jamal Coombs McDaniel contributing another. I mean, like Donnell Beverly didn't even play in that game. And then he got solid minutes the next night against Syracuse. It was a, just a team that sacrificed and, uh, you know, was so good in, ter- in being a collective group um, that any night if a, a guy was off or in foul trouble, someone else would uh, step up. Yeah, man. Just a just a really excited, just, just a really great time, honestly. Just this game and this team and that season. Just, uh, man, it's just so much fun to talk about and think about, like, you know, I mean, the last couple of years for UConn have been kind of rough. So, I mean, that was just such a joyful and unexpected surprise to get a year like that. Um, so before we wrap this up, let's run through uh, some stats real quick. We, we've kind of touched on a lot of them. Kemba, I mean, we, you mentioned already, he had 24 points on 22 shots. He played all 40 minutes, did not come off the court. Uh, only attempted th- uh, two threes. He didn't make either of them, but he was eight for nine from the free throw line. Had uh, five rebounds, five assists, um, you know, did really kind of just did it all all the way through. Uh, the team as a whole, only six turnovers, which is uh, pretty good. Uh, I mean, especially against a team like Pitt. Um, you know, Oriaki and Okwandu, I mentioned at the top, they, they were in foul trouble early. They both only finished with three fouls each, so they kind of got their act together. Um, Okwandu didn't really play that much in the second half, but Oriaki, like you mentioned, was huge. Um you know, Shabazz, he has 10 points, uh, you know, makes a couple of threes down the stretch. Um, the offensive rebounds, they uh, out-rebounded Pitt uh, 13 to, where's Pitt? Um, uh, 13 to 8. I mean, and those guys, that was a bunch of bad dudes there. So they were able to kind of flip the script because, I mean, you remember back then, like, UConn was all guards and we weren't really sure about the front court up, right up until they won the whole thing. Um, so to put up a performance like that on the on the glass was so was so important. Oh yeah, I mean even it's funny. I was talking to 
you know, Colin, my brother, about it, where Yukon didn't have the Emeka Okafor, uh, you know, even the Hashim Thabi type of imposing uh, presence down low in a weird way, but both the 2011-2014 uh, titles where you had, you know, Oriaki no Kwandu and, uh, you know, Nolan and Brian, you had guys who at least, you know, stepped up and played within their means, didn't try to do too much. And uh, Oriaki, you know, I know he had a double-double in the national championship, but, you know, Pitt was kind of looked at as the more uh, bruising, tough team, especially, you know, from the Dewan Blair uh, year uh, in 2008-2009. So for, you know, UConn to be kind of guard-heavy, you know, from then on, between Kemba Walker and, uh, you know, Shabazz and then uh, Boatwright coming in uh, the next year. It's funny because uh, the big men, have, you know, they were serviceable and they really came up big. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's, it is funny, like, you know, UConn for so much of its history with, you know, Calhoun and into Ollie and now into Danny Hurley, you know, it's just been like, oh, they're the team that blocks all the shots. And yet it does feel like that year especially, but there was like a stretch where you were like, well, where's UConn's big? Like, they don't have any. <laughs> Which is funny because we're kind of back there now because now, like, UConn literally doesn't have any bigs at this point because the Cook got hurt and, you know, they were playing with, you know, Carlton and Whaley and literally no other forwards for a while. But, you know, yeah. they, they that year, you know, I mean, it's true. They... they they elevated their. They just elevated their game. Uh, all those guys really, I mean, it's so it's it's funny too because you know we we could probably do a separate episode on the uh, Butler game, but I mean the front court guys killed Butler in that game. They just absolutely smoked them. So you know what did we know all along? They they were good enough. It turned out. Um, yeah, I mean Okwandu was good for a dunk in the final four. Oriaki played great, um, and like you said, there were some questions, but. They beat the teams they needed to. The guys elevated their game. And the young players kept their composure and took it to another level to win championships. Yeah, man. All right, so last uh, last category. And this is the probably the easiest one uh, we'll ever have on this podcast. Who is the top dog? Your uh, you know, best player who won the game, whatever you want to say it. Well, I mean... Uh, I think it has to go to Kemba Walker. You think? And I, <laughs> I, I know I mentioned the shooting, but that's what's great about it. You said how he missed four straight shots, especially the one where Coombs McDaniel got the rebound. You know, Kemba drives and pulls up right in the paint and wide open shot, you know, he's, he's short though. So like it looks as if his legs are, uh, you know, giving out and he's succumbing to some fatigue so for him to you know go back the next play and do what he does you know in hindsight you could say was due to hit the big time shot but at that point it was three games in three days you know his 40th minute of playing and he his shot was off for the last few minutes of the game uh and he came up huge obviously like i love to you know talk about the guys who did the little things, you know, and so it would be Coombs McDaniel for that specific uh, sequence. But, you know, Kemba, 
was the top dog that game and beyond. And uh, for him to have a poor shooting night but still come through and account, it just kind of shows the player type of guy he is to step up and if you he, he didn't carry that he didn't carry UConn that night you know but he certainly carried them throughout the season but he got some help that night but when they needed him most you know he came up with the clutch shot I think that's a good place to wrap it up so uh Matt thanks so much for coming on this was a blast uh you know love to you know reminisce about you know these kind of games and you know just that whole experience and, you know, I just got me so jacked up earlier thinking about just like, especially the train ride home after where, you know, you'd be at college or I'll just like, dude, what, what did we just see? Like, oh my God. <laughs> I feel like a lot of people were leaving Madison Square Garden thinking the same thing that day. No, it was awesome. And thanks so much for having me on, Mac. Uh, you know, obviously it's always great to uh, walk down memory lane and, uh, you know, hoping that there's more basketball ahead of us and, uh, safe and healthy days ahead as well seriously well well everybody thanks so much for listening um we are going to be back uh i'm gonna well my goal is to try to put a bunch of these together real quick over the next couple days um kind of get the we'll say the 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 top games out of the way right off the top and um yeah you know hopefully let me know what you think if you have any suggestions any you know comments criticisms uh you can follow me on twitter at mac cerullo it's M-A-C-C-E-R-U-L-L-O, and that's Mac, not Matt or Max or any of the other things you <laughs> might come up with. Uh, I'm on Instagram as well. Uh, same thing, Max Cerullo there. And um, I, I suppose one of these, if this like becomes a real thing and I actually like do this on a semi-regular basis, I'll probably set up an email for this uh, show. But right now we'll just kind of, uh, you know, you can reach out to me at those places and We'll kind of go from there. Uh, Matt, you have anything you want to plug? No, uh, not really. I mean, I'm on Twitter. I'm McDTwin1. But, uh, you know, I've since left the uh, sports writing game. But I really appreciate everyone listening. And like Max said, send feedback our way. And uh, excited to listen to, you know, more uh, UConn basketball uh, content coming uh, your way. Beautiful. So we'll have Matt back on in some future episodes. I got a couple in mind. Uh, for the next couple, I got a few others lined up who I think will uh, will uh, all be excited to hear. And um, yeah, well, for everybody, thanks for listening and uh, check back next time and uh, we'll uh, talk some more UConn basketball. Thanks, guys.